0: Welcome back to the Chris Gates Fitness Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. As always, I am super pumped to dive into today's episode. Today is a podcast q and I have five listener questions that I got from Instagram, and I'm super excited to dive into each one of them. Uh, I'll run through what those five listener questions are. Uh, but before I do that, if you're not following me on Instagram, make sure that you do Chris Gates at Chris Gates Fitness is where you can find me. And and honestly, that's where I am on every social media platform. If you're not following me, make sure that you do because occasionally I put out calls for questions just like I did for this episode. Uh, The last time I did it on my Instagram story, I actually got like around 15 questions So you can expect a few podcast Q&As here uh, as we go through the next month or two uh, where I'm going to dive into each and every question that you submitted. So if you send something over, I'm almost always going to answer it here on the podcast And uh, yeah, let's talk about what those five questions are that we're gonna dive into today. So question number one is gonna be about the best protein options that are out there uh, and how to be consistent with eating enough protein. Question number two, how to work your way up to doing a full body weight pushup without any type of assistance, being able to do a bodyweight weight pushup, how to get there. Uh, number three, how much core training do you actually need? How much do you need to train your abs directly? Question number four, how to stay consistent with cardio during the winter, which is timely because it's October right now, and if you live in a cold weather state, That cold weather is not too far away, unfortunately. And question number five, uh, if you get sick in the middle of your program, uh, or just if you get sick while you've been consistent with working out, how can you restart things when you feel better? How can you dive back into exercising when you're back to 100%? I'm going to answer all five of those questions, really, really good ones, um, and uh, I'm excited to do so. One other thing quickly uh, before we dive into the full episode, um, I have a mailing list. And I don't promote this enough on the podcast. Normally I tell you about how I'm a coach and there's a link to my coaching page in the show notes. And, uh, you probably know that if you've listened to one or more episodes. Uh, and if you looked at my podcast, I'm sure you know that I'm a coach. So this week I want to plug my mailing list because my mailing list is actually the best way to stay in contact with me, the best way to stay up to date with a lot of the content that I produce. Um, and it's nice because honestly, like a lot of people say, Hey, Jump on my mailing list and then they sell you with a bunch of shit. I don't have a lot of stuff to sell. You know, I'm a coach. You know, I help people. You know that if you need help, you can reach out to me. Uh, so, All I do is I send out one email a week and it normally is featuring the latest piece of content that I produced. So that could be podcast episodes like this one, could be brand new videos on YouTube, which I have a few of them planned, Uh, some tutorial stuff that's really cool. um, Just to give you a sneak peek, Uh, I'm going to have a tutorial video about how to get heavy dumbbells in place. I've had that question a lot from my clients recently. Because it is kind of difficult, you know, as you get stronger to find ways to get really heavy dumbbells in place so that you can work out with them. Uh, So I have a tutorial on that coming up pretty soon. I'm going to be doing a full video on how to set up like different body part splits for your training program. If there are different muscle groups you want to, uh, build specifically. Um, I just recorded a video on how to feel lateral raises more in your side delts, which is something a lot of people struggle with. And a lot of people want to build bigger side delts because they just look really good, right? Had to have bigger muscular shoulders, um, and a lot of other stuff. So there's a lot of good stuff coming and uh, that that's, content that I will be sharing and letting you know the minute that it's ready, I will shoot you an email to everybody that's on my mailing list and also articles uh, that I may write. Um, So basically any, you know, new content that I produce, if if you like these podcast episodes, I produce other content too. And if you get on my mailing list, I'll shoot you an email once a week, let you know what's there. If you are interested, you want to check it out, go check it out. If not, that's cool too. But like I said, I'm never going to sell you. The only time I'm going to like even mention money is uh, whenever I open up coaching applications uh, for sales, um, and my mailing list always gets a very big discount on coaching when I run a sale. So uh, all told, I mean, I think there's a lot of value packed into it. There's a link in the show notes today to my mailing list. Make sure you hop on there, and uh, I will reach out to you soon when... I have a new piece of content to share. But all right, with that said, let's dive into the Q&A and we'll start with that first question about the best protein options that are out there and how to be consistent with eating enough protein. And I'll start by saying like there's no hack here, really. There's no real magic to eating more protein other than like planning and prepping for it. Um, Most people that see really good success with their diet, you know, kind of like, irrespective of your goal, you could have any type of goal that's out there, build muscle, burn fat, build strength, whatever. If you're meal planning and prepping and if you consistently build that into your weekly routine, you're going to see... A higher level of progress than if you didn't do that at all like that's that's how it works meal prep is really really important um, so I guess that's the hack if there's any hack it's just like you got to find time to make sure you get to the grocery store and get the right things and then f- build out time in your calendar during the week to prep and cook that food um, but there is kind of like a hierarchy I like to go through in terms of finding the best protein options. And uh, normally it starts with animal protein sources. And by that, I mean meat primarily, right? So things like chicken, turkey, beef, fish, those protein sources tend to have Uh, They tend to be the most complete protein sources. They tend to have the highest concentration of the essential amino acids that your body needs and wants to recover from your workouts uh, and just provide your body with what it needs to maintain the muscle tissue that you have, build more muscle and improve your body composition. Um, So animal protein is, is always the place to start. And I would say like As long as you don't have restrictions on your diet, as long as you can and do eat animal protein, try to get the majority of your protein from that, okay? Uh, And then what we can piggyback that with is the things you can complement the animal protein source with. Um, So, you know, I'm sure you're familiar when you build a meal, you're probably not just like plopping a chicken breast down on a plate and that's the only thing you eat. You're probably eating that with other foods because most people eat meals that have protein, carbohydrates, fats, like everything. Um, So there's a lot of different options and I'm not going to run through absolutely everything, but there are a lot of different options that can provide like trace amounts. Of protein, but if you're doing a decent amount of these different options and, and tossing them into the meals that complement the large animal protein source, you're going to see that protein count tick up. Uh relatively easy and, and dramatically. So um, you know, things that come with protein that aren't like a piece of chicken or turkey or fish or beef, um, there are lots of vegetables that come with some protein. Uh, one of my favorites is edamame. Um, but like you're not gonna get a vegetable source that has 15 grams of protein per serving, but You could have some type of vegetable with your meal that might get you another three or four. Um, And then you could also add some beans or legumes to whatever you're eating that could get you another three or four. You could have some type of rice Different rices vary in the amount of protein that they'll provide you, but rice is relatively high volume in that like you can eat a decent amount of it for pretty low calories. Uh, so you know if you add a nice amount of rice to whatever dish and whatever protein source you have, you could get again, another three to four to five to six grams of protein there. Um, cheese is another one. You sprinkle some cheese on top of whatever you're eating. There's a decent amount of protein that comes from cheese. Cheese is from dairy, from cows. Obviously, if you know anything about like protein sources, I mean, that's coming from an animal. Whey protein is a milk protein, which comes from cows. Whey protein is one of the highest quality proteins. So, like, cheeses and dairy items are also things that can provide you with pretty high quality protein. So, like, with just those things that I mentioned there, Uh, what I mentioned, four or five different things that could add, I don't know, four to five grams of protein to your meal. Uh, So if you get a protein source that's 30 grams of protein, you add a few of those in there, it could be really easy to get 50 grams of protein in one meal if you just structure it the right way. So you need to keep an eye out for the types of foods and kind of broaden your knowledge base and do a little bit of research on what types of foods can provide protein. Pick from the ones that you like And then you can start to play around with the variables and find something that really truly does work for you. That's what I do. Like one of my go-to dishes, it is around four ounces of chicken with like four to six ounces of rice. I will toss in some vegetables in there. I'll toss in some black beans in there, sprinkle some cheese on top of it. It's basically a burrito bowl that I eat pretty much every day and it easily gets me 40 to 50 grams of protein. Um, So that's, kind of the approach that I take and that I encourage a lot of my clients to take And I do have an article on my website that's probably worth looking up if you want to dig deeper into this topic. Uh, I will include the link to this article in the show notes, Um, but I have an article on foods that are always good to have at home, and and I really break it down into each macronutrient, so carbohydrates, fats, protein, um, and try to provide a bunch of different options that I think are really good to just always have at the house, which goes back to what I talked about at the beginning, Uh, we're talking about meal prepping, right, Planning and just having a game plan for this stuff. If you can have a lot of the meals that are in that article in your pantry or in your fridge on a regular basis or in the freezer, you're going to find it easy to be able to create high protein options like this and consistently be able to eat enough protein. So um, make sure you check that article out. There's a lot of good ideas in there. Um, And then finally, you know, the last piece of the puzzle uh, is supplements. And a lot of people turn to supplements first because, I mean, they are pretty much the easiest way to get protein in because you can just put a scoop of protein in water and drink it, and in five minutes, you could get 20 to 30 grams of protein, which is great, and there's nothing wrong with that, um, but like, I don't know about you, I've always found it more enjoyable to eat my calories. It's more satisfying, it's more filling, uh, it tastes better, and uh, that that is my approach with myself with my clients and what I would probably encourage you to do as well is try to get the vast majority of your protein and your calories from food Um, and then if you find that it's still a struggle after you do those things that I just walked you through you can utilize supplements Um, and you know like a, a simple whey protein isolate is going to be really good. Um, And uh, you can get those anywhere. I do work with a company called Legion uh, that offers supplements. um, And they have really, really tasty uh, whey protein uh, that I typically have one scoop of their whey protein with my breakfast each day. And that uh, again, just helps. I, I try to get 180 to 190 grams of protein a day. That helps me start the day with a, a I get, well, what does it end up being? Like 25-ish grams of protein in that shake. Uh, and I also have like a breakfast sandwich that has eggs and sausage. So I get about 50 grams of protein to start my day. That protein supplement helps me do that. Um, if you are interested in, in getting a protein supplement, um, I do have a, a code with Legion, C Gates. the letters C-G-A-T-E-S. You can get 20% off uh, an order with them. But really, you can get You can get whey protein anywhere. You can get it in the grocery store. It's so easily accessible now. Um, And that's an option. But I would put that third on the, the, in the third tier in terms of that hierarchy I mentioned. So the beginning of that hierarchy at the top, animal protein, sides after that, um, supplements after that. And I guess like, you know, I'll slide snacks in there too. Snacks would probably be ahead of supplements Things like cottage cheese, Greek yogurt, nuts, seeds, jerky. Um, those are like as needed types of things or as you enjoy. Um, I like to have Greek yogurt at the end of the day. It's a bit more of a slow digesting protein source. Really, really tasty. I think I do the Oikos triple zero Greek yogurt, which, uh, you know, per serving has 15 grams of protein and i think it's only like 90 calories um so the macros are really good on it it's really really tasty um, those are helpful as well. Um, but they're, they're, they're farther down the hierarchy, your, your meals and your meal composition is always going to be first. So, um, hopefully that's helpful. And like I said, check out that article link that's in the show notes to just get some more ideas on the types of foods that you can always have at home. Uh, cause that prep element to this discussion is probably the biggest piece to the puzzle. Question number two, how to do a full body weight pushup. Unassisted. So, how to work your way from not being able to do one to being able to do one. With these bodyweight exercises, push ups are one of them, Um, pull ups are normally the other one that people talk about a lot. Uh, It's always going to involve some type of progression because you're not going to be able to just get down on the ground, drop down, push yourself back up. Um, if you keep trying that, you know, and keep failing at it, you're not going to be doing things that help you actually build the muscles and the strength and like the, the movement pattern, uh, efficiency to be able to do the exercise. Same with pull-ups. Like if you go and you can't do a body weight pull-up and you just try one every day and you put your arms up and you try to pull and it doesn't work, and then you're just like, okay, I'll try again tomorrow. You're never gonna get there. Uh, you have to do things that help acclimate your body to the movement and also help your body get used to working against the resistance of your body, your body weight. Um, so, normally, where I start people to start doing uh, or working towards being able to do a full body weight push up is doing push ups against the wall. So, if you think about standing just like face up, Against the wall, if the wall's right in front of you, you put your nose on the wall, you're standing flat up against it. Think about taking one step back and then putting your arms on the wall and doing push ups, pushing your body away from the wall and then lowering your body back into the wall till your nose touches. Pushing away, lowering back into the wall. Uh, do that. See if you have the strength to do that. And slowly but surely, start moving your feet away from the wall. Uh, to you know, The further you move your feet away from the wall, the harder you're going to make it. The more of your body weight that you're going to be putting on your chest and your shoulders and your triceps, which are the muscle groups involved in doing a push-up. Um, that's the first place to start. Now, you can only move your feet so far away from the wall until uh, you'll fall over. <laughs> so at a certain point, once you get good at that, it's going to be hard to continue doing it that way. For, for the progression. So then I move people uh, down to doing push ups on a bench. So, like a weight bench where you would do, you know, if you would lay with your back on it to do a dumbbell press or something like that, what I would do is have you put your hands on the side of the bench and kick your feet out behind you. And so you're at an incline on the bench and you're doing push ups there. Because that essentially allows you to move your feet even further away if we were thinking about the wall. You can only move your feet further away, but if then if you lower your body down to the bench, you can continue to move your feet further away. Doing it on the bench is going to allow you to put even more tension and more of your body weight on your chest and your shoulders and your triceps. And then when you get good at that, then that's when I have you go down to the floor and try to do body weight push-ups just as they are um and once you have the ability to do one or two of them then we can start to work on increasing your workload at at doing push-ups and use that as a tool in the toolbox and normally we would go between doing bodyweight push-ups like the standard kind and uh some of those modifications that i just talked about to continue to help you build up the capacity and build up the muscle and strength to be able to do more and more of them um Another thing you could potentially do is just do the eccentric portion of a push-up, which is the, the way down. So if you're thinking about if you're pushed all the way up and then when you lower your body down to the ground, any exercise when we're talking about the lowering, if it's lowering the weight, lowering your body, if you're doing a bicep curl, letting the dumbbell come back down, if you're doing a squat, it's when you're on the way down on the squat, that's called the eccentric the eccentric part of the rep. Uh, And the concentric is when you're contracting the muscles. So for a bicep curl, it would be curling up. Um, And for a a push-up, it would be pushing your body up because that's when your chest muscles, your pecs, are going to be contracting to push your body up. So you could do slow eccentrics, which is getting into that top position. So you put your knees on the ground, get your arms in that top position, then get your legs and your feet in position behind you, and just slowly lower your body all the way down to the floor. When you get to the floor, the rep is over. You get your knees back up, get your arms back in place. Get your feet back out behind you again, and do another slow eccentric, slowly lowering your upper body down to the floor. Um, and the reason you might do these, um, this is one I do with a lot of clients for for pull ups, is we do slow eccentrics where I have them, uh, you know, set up a box, they step up on the box, get in position on the pull up bar, and then. Step off of that box and then just focus on lowering their body as slow as they can all the way down to the to the bottom position and then do that again. Um, in en- almost every instance when we're talking about a strength training exercise, you are going to be more strong. You're going to be stronger in the eccentric portion of the exercise, meaning we're almost always stronger at lowering something and just resisting the weight as opposed to pushing or pulling or pressing or squatting the weight. And so because of that, we can take advantage of that by just doing the eccentric portion of the exercise. A lot of research shows that a lot of muscle damage actually happens during that eccentric portion of the exercise um and then you know as your body recovers from that training session where you did those slow eccentrics uh, if there's more muscle damage in those muscles that are involved in the exercise There could be greater recovery and greater growth, which could, over time, allow you to actually get stronger at the exercise, even though you're only doing half of it. So that's another one to consider. Uh, But first and foremost, the place I'm always going to have you start is that progression that I mentioned. So we start on the wall, we go down to the bench once you get strong enough to do that, and then once you get strong enough to go down to the floor, we go down to the floor. And over time, we're really just focused on trying to build up your overall capacity to do more reps in whatever phase of the progression you're in. Question number three How much core training do I actually need? Do you actually need? Uh, And by core training, you know, how I interpret that is direct training of your core and of your ab muscles, you know, isolating the abs and training them individually. Um, and I don't mean each individual abdominal muscle. I just mean like isolating that muscle group, similar to how you would like do a exercise just for biceps, uh, or just for triceps or chest, shoulders, whatever. Um, so in general, the answer to this question is probably not as much Direct core training as you think, uh, or as most people say, because, you know, a popular thing for coaches and trainers to post on Instagram to get a lot of likes and a lot of shares and a lot of saves is like their quote unquote ab circuit. Um, And a lot of fitness influencers share that stuff because it gets likes and comments and shares and saves. But in reality, Most of them aren't doing that ab circuit uh, because it's not necessary. It's overkill, and it's probably not how they built their midsection, how they built their core and abdominal muscles. Um, Normally, with my one-on-one online fitness coaching clients, uh, I normally only program like two to three ab exercises, direct ab training per week. Um, and normally what we're focused on is doing some type of crunch. So some type of exercise where you're focused on, uh, contracting your abs and really kind of flexing your spine. And on video, I'm showing this here where like, if this is your back straight up and down, we're trying to flex and curve the spine. Cause when we curve the spine forward, that's happening because you're contracting your abdominal muscles. So we normally start with a crunch. Also do a leg raise where you're trying to bring your legs up and and also kind of like tuck your hips up into your midsection. That's another way that the abs can contract and then some type of rotation. So some type of uh, movement where we're rotating the trunk could be a wood chopper, could be a bicycle crunch. There are so many different uh, options, Um, but those are the three primary functions of your core, of your abdominal muscles, is to crunch and raise and rotate. Um, And beyond that, there's not a lot else that you need because uh, I would assume you're also doing compound exercises as part of your strength training program. Uh, If you're not, you're on a shitty program, and uh, you can reach out to me at chrisgatesfitness.com to get a better one. But um, compound exercises which so we're on the same page a compound exercise is one where multiple muscle groups are involved in doing the exercise so that would been be like a uh, you know some type of pressing exercise chest press normally involves the chest shoulders and triceps uh, a rowing exercise would involve your back and your biceps Uh, A squat has you, you know, bending at the hips and the knees and even the ankles. Um, So those are good examples of compound exercises. And when you're doing any of those compound exercises, uh, you should be properly bracing your core. Because when you're properly bracing your core, and what that means is taking a deep breath in and thinking about, holding that breath in and, and, and squeezing your abs, squeezing and tightening your core. When you do that, you're providing a lot of strength and stability to your trunk, to your torso. Um, and, and that when done, you know, if you think about all those different types of exercises that you have in your program, when you're doing that, you know, 10, 10 for 10 sets of each workout and, uh, you know, within each one of those sets, eight to 10 to 12 to 15 to 20 reps, you're getting a lot of reps with a brace core. That's really important. That really helps you develop your core and abdominal muscles as well. So, you know, direct ab training, I, I do think like if you want better looking abs, uh, it's it's important. It's not as important as most people think. Um, you probably only need a little bit as long as your program is structured appropriately. And by that, I mean like those compound exercises I just ran you through. And, uh, you know, if you have that combination of things, you probably don't need a lot extra. I'll get questions occasionally from clients that say like, hey, I noticed you only have like two ab exercises in there for me. Uh, Why is that? Shouldn't I be doing more? And the answer is normally no. And then we talk, you know, I'm able to educate them on how some of these other exercises, you may not know it, you may not realize it, you may not think it, but they are actually training your core and training your abs just in maybe a more indirect way or a way that you're not as aware of when you're doing the exercise. And then we get to talk about the fundamentals and the principles of bracing and and how that helps not only you get stronger not how not only helps you build you know stronger abs um but it also helps prevent injury and and there's a lot of good stuff wrapped up in there so um that's uh that's the the long and short of it ab training is interesting man in the fitness industry a lot of people make it seem like the end all be all when it's like it's important don't get me wrong but like its level of importance compared to how important people say it is, it's just, a, there's this wide disparity and it's, it's, it's kind of crazy. Question number four, how to stay consistent with cardio during the winter? I live in a cold weather state. I live in Pennsylvania. Uh, and in the winter, it gets pretty damn cold here. And we get snow, uh, we get ice, we get the, the, the hail, the sleet, uh, we get the cold, bitter wind, and wind chills, all the shit, all the shit, we get it. And uh, it's hard, right? Because I think a lot of people with cardio like to do cardio outside. I think it's the most preferable way to do it. Whether you're getting outside to go for walks, going outside to run, you're biking on a trail or a path. Um, it's it's so much fun. And, and like from you know a health perspective too, getting out, getting some sunshine. There's so much good wrapped up in being able to like not have limitations on whether you can or cannot be outside. But reality is, uh, in most places, in the United States at least, you're going to run into a period of time where it's not so practical or feasible to get outside and do your cardio, so you have to find other options. And, you know, obviously, if you have a gym membership, there are other options. There's treadmills and bikes and ellipticals and all that stuff at your gym uh, that may not be the most fun. They may not be, you know, the the most optimal uh but if you have a gym membership and it's too cold to do this stuff outside you know you got to just suck it up for two or three months and, and make it happen what i've really found is like the the crappy weather that forces us inside is a little bit overstated in 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 most cases um like and and like okay people in in maine uh, like i feel you people in canada i feel you minnesota wisconsin sorry about it but like In most states, winter is only really, really bad for like two to three months. What I experience here where I live, December, January, February, kind of non-negotiable. Getting outside is really difficult. Um, But the other nine months of the year is not so bad. So if you are forced to do cardio inside at the gym for a few months, hey, you're forced to do cardio inside at the gym for a few months and you got to keep doing it, right? Because it's part of your plan, part of your program. It supports your health. You have to do it. That's just the way that it goes. Um, Now, if you work out from home, if you have a home gym or or if you don't have a gym membership, um, really, now's a great time to consider some purchases that could potentially help you. Uh, One, a couple things that I have, uh, we have a spin bike. You can find spin bikes online for not that much money. And especially if you're only going to use it for a few months of the year, you don't need to go out and buy a Peloton bike for $2,000 or however much they cost. Um, I got a spin bike for like 150 bucks, And you know what? It allows me to go into my basement and spin for 20 minutes. And I put a show on my phone and I watch it. And it's not... Sexy or interesting or exciting, but it gets the job done. I also purchased something called a walk pad, which where I'm recording here, it's actually right to my left on the ground next to my desk in my home office. And a walk pad is basically. Uh, like a dressed-down version of a treadmill. Um, it it's if you you know if you think about a treadmill, how it has obviously the you know the the belt that you walk on, and then up in front of you there's like a big stand where there's a lot of different options to choose from. You can adjust the the speed, the incline, all that stuff. Uh, a walk pad is basically just the the belt that you walk on. And mine came with a remote where you can turn it on and you can turn the speed up or turn the speed down. And that's really it. There's no incline. There's no like other bells and whistles. But I have, of anything, I have found the walk pad to be the the most helpful in the winter months to help me just continue to be able to get steps in. Um, I I do actually have a goal for myself this coming winter to like not be such a little bitch about the cold weather and like if it's cold outside but the sun is actually out i want to make a a case of it i'm making a goal for myself to still get outside and and get some sunshine on my face and, and do a walk assuming that like the sidewalk is plowed and 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 it's not icy and i'm not risking my health also like assuming it's not below zero and i could get frostbite um but like when it's still you know a situation where I can get some sun if I put on my heavy coat and uh, you go for a quick walk. I want to try to do that. But outside of that, admittedly, that doesn't happen all the time. The walk pad here has been such a game changer for me to just be able to get my step count to eight to ten thousand steps a day, which is really really helpful. Um, now, obviously, those things come with a cost. I, th- I think I mentioned the bike it was like one hundred fifty bucks. Uh, the bike I have, that I don't think they even sell anymore. I got it through Titan Fitness. Um, this walk pad, I don't even know the brand of it. Um, but if you have questions, I can send you it. I can look it up. I bought it on Amazon. The, the one I bought actually has like uh, sales that run on it all the time um, sometimes there's like it's like two to three hundred dollars off which is crazy I don't know how they make money on this thing but um, if, if you're curious about it I can send me a message on Instagram uh, at Chris Gates Fitness and, and I can send you a link to it um, I think it was four hundred dollars when I bought it and like if you like okay let's weigh. The, the ROI of that purchase, $400, it's not a small chunk of change, but if that allows you to buy something that rain or shine for the rest of your life allows you to work on your health, it's worth, it's worth the cost, okay? So these are some things that I find are basically necessary if you live in a cold weather state and you have those uh, winters where you just really almost can't ever get outside to do cardio, You could also go the treadmill route. Those are going to be considerably more expensive than a walk pad. Um, You know, if you're if if you're thinking about getting a treadmill because of these two to three months where it's going to be super duper cold and miserable, I might just say like get a gym membership for three months because that's going to be I don't know fifty bucks a month be hundred fifty dollars and then you can cancel your membership and that's. Better than spending a thousand dollars on a treadmill, right? Or even four hundred dollars on a, a walk pad. Um, so those are the options I have. Like this is another one where I, there's not a lot of hacks. There's not a lot of magic. Uh, you have to commit to wanting to do it. And like I just said, I'm committing to wanting to. I'm well. Wanting is like, okay, I want to do it, but are you going to do it? I'm committing to doing it this winter and like actually getting outside and still making use of the good days that there are because it's not all bad days. There are warm days in the winter. There are nice days where there may be snow on the ground, but the sun's out. Um, So you got to kind of try to maximize those days when they happen, but then having – options like the walk pad or a bike or something in your home that you can get a little bit of activity on is a, a really nice supplement. I would call it a supplement. My walk pad is a supplement that I use consistently and I found it to be really beneficial for my overall health. Okay, question number five, last one on this episode for this q and I got sick in the middle of my program. How should I restart things when I feel better? Um, so first and foremost, I'm glad that you stopped training when you were sick uh, because, you know, if you were legitimately sick and, and, you know, let's talk about that for a second. I'm actually a little bit sick right now. I just have a lingering cold, uh, something that my kids brought home from daycare, but like, it's not impacting my energy levels. It's not impacting my ability to do anything throughout the day. I'm not in a mental fog. I'm not feeling sluggish. I'm not struggling to breathe, or I'm not coughing all the time. Um, it's just a small, like, lingering cold. And so I've continued to train, and I haven't felt any ill effects of doing that. It's been fine. Um, so sometimes you can continue training when you're sick. You have to know yourself, know your body, and like, make the smart, responsible choice. That's up to you. Nobody can tell you when or when. Not to do that. You need to be smart about it. If anything, I err on the side of like, take a day off at least and see how you feel, how your body responds. Because, uh, you know, when you're, when you're training while sick, it's important to understand that training is a stress to your body. Just like being sick is a stress to your body. Just like having stress at work is a stress to your body. Getting poor sleep is a stress to your body. All of this stuff at the end of the day is stuff that your body receives these are different stimuli it's a stimulus that your body has to find a way to read and react to and in a lot of cases recover from to help you get back to baseline your body always wants to be a baseline that's uh you know what's that um what's that word oh shoot the it's like a scientific word for baseline uh crap you know, that's the problem about doing these podcasts is if you forget a word, then you just kind of have to talk through it while you hope your brain figures it out. Um, homeostasis, there it is. Yeah, homeostasis is is uh, where your body always wants to be. Um, <clears throat> so if you train on top of being legitimately sick, you're going to make it take longer for you to get back to baseline, to homeostasis, to 100%. From being sick, you're going to cause that illness to last longer, which is stupid, right? So don't do that. <laughs> um, but I think we can kind of break the answer to this, like how to restart things into two two different discussion points. So let's say it's like a, a, a couple days of uh, being sick, you miss one to two workouts. We can probably make those up and, and keep chugging along. Like we might have to fit some workouts into different pockets of time than you usually would, um, but we can find a way to probably make those up and and just get back to being current in the program. Or even like that's not that much time off where you could probably miss one to two workouts and then just like jump into the next workout that you're supposed to do based on the calendar. So if you have, you know, throughout the week, like three workouts that you want to do, if you miss days one and two, but you're feeling better by day three, you could just jump, jump into day three and the next week go to day one and two and just keep rolling into the rolling through the program where you're supposed to be. Um, because you miss a workout or two, it's not like you're going to lose all kinds of muscle and strength. It's not like you're going to lose the ability or get really rusty at your ability to perform the movements. Uh, it's not that big of a deal. So that's the first discussion point. The second one is like, okay, what if it's a longer thing where you miss one to two weeks or even longer? Um, that is a situation where, with my clients, I might consider like restarting the phase of training that they're in, or you know, going back to whatever week they were in when they got sick, and and we kind of like start that week over. Um, and the the big piece to this discussion point is. You need to understand that when you have a longer period of time off from training like that, there's going to be a re f- phase or, or, or set of circumstances that your body has to go through when you're doing that. Because you're not going to be able to come right back from two weeks off and hit the same weights for the same amount of reps and and it feels great. Not, like That's not how it's going to happen. Um, you're... And that's not to say that you're losing all kinds of muscle and strength because you were off for two weeks. That's actually not the case. What normally is the case is, you know, like just like you feel it in your muscles and you're able to use your muscles in certain ways. Well, if you stop using your muscles in those ways for two weeks, um, it's it's all a skill. What you're doing in the gym, each exercise and, and, and the form and technique for each one of them, those are all specific skills that you've developed. And you've developed those in large part because your brain has learned how to communicate how to do those things to the rest of your body. Your brain sends signals to the muscles and the joints and the bones and the ligaments and all that stuff to say, hey, move in this way to do this efficiently. When you stop doing those things for two weeks or maybe even more, you're not going to be doing that, right? You're not going to be practicing those movements. So to come back to it, you're probably going to have to... Reduce the weight a little bit or probably have to expect that like you're not going to be able to do as many reps with the same weight. And that's because not because you lost muscle and strength, but it's because your, your brain is a little bit rusty. At communicating those things. And so like, it's, this is like a neurocognitive thing where like, you have to just kind of go through the motions, pull back for a week or so, let your body acclimate to things again. And then once you do that, you'll be able to start scaling the intensity and the workload up again. Um, that's that's normally what's happening, and that's normally what you need to expect if you take a longer period of time off like that. So you're not losing all kinds of muscle and strength if you do get sick in the middle of your program. Um, but if you do get sick in, in the middle of your program, there are typically going to be some adjustments to make, and and hopefully those two different scenarios I mapped out uh, are helpful the next time this happens. God forbid you you, you get really sick. Uh, these are you know some of the things to consider. Uh, when you are feeling better and are able to, to get back into the program and, and keep plugging away. So hopefully that's helpful. And hopefully this entire podcast episode was helpful. I love doing Q&As. I hope you enjoy them. Um, I feel like I'm talking directly to you and helping you specifically with things that you want to know or need to know. Uh, so like I said, make sure you're following me on social media, especially on Instagram. That's normally where I do my calls for uh, questions for these episodes. And again, that, that link in the show notes to my mailing list, make sure you're on my mailing list um, and uh, I'll be sending lots of good content to you. I have lots of stuff in the hopper here uh, that I'm excited to roll out over the next uh, couple of, of weeks and months. Um, and uh, you'll want to make sure you're on there so that you can get each one of them. And you know, like social media is weird these days. You could follow me on social media, but that doesn't mean you're going to get to see the posts that I put out there because like the algorithms are weird. And like, it's just following somebody doesn't guarantee you actually see what they post anymore. But being on my mailing list does because if I email you, it goes directly to your inbox, which is nice. That's the way it should work, right? Um, So make sure you hit that. And uh, like I said, as always, if you have questions, let me know. Um, Otherwise, subscribe to the podcast, like the podcast, drop me a comment, drop me a rating and review. uh, And I'll be back with you next week for another episode. And uh, until then, I hope you have a great week. Thank you so much for listening. And I'll talk to you again soon.